Town Hall Academy, episode 52. The most important thing, at least for me, was do not tell anyone that you are selling the shop. To me, that was critical. First of all, you want your employees to continue with their top performance. You don't want them leaving. You don't want them to get nervous. It's critical that they still have all the confidence in the world because they're part of the sale of the shop. I mean, that's really important. Mm-hmm. Your customers, you've got, you cannot tell your customers. You just have to keep going because that's part of what you're selling is that customer base. Welcome, automotive aftermarketers, to a Remarkable Results Radio Town Hall Academy. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Welcome, automotive aftermarket professionals from North America and around the world to the Town Hall Academy, Episode 52. Hey, Carm Capriato here. And have you ever wanted to hear about the selling transaction? You know, when someone sells their business, you would love to know about the pre and the post information when a peer sold their business? Well, here are three former shop owners with their story. With me in today's academy, former shop owners Margie Van Lerup, Scott Gonzo Weaver, and Dave Winters. They each sold their shops within the last year. Hey, you know your customer's old engine and transmission is going to wear out. So when that day comes, Jasper will be the name to remember. Jasper's remanufactured products cost considerably less than a new vehicle. So it just makes sense to choose and talk Jasper as a strong option for your customer's drivetrain solution. Here's thinking Jasper engines and transmissions for their support of the Town Hall Academy. As you've discovered, listening to the podcast is so easy. You can listen on the website or over a dozen listening apps on the World Wide Web. You know, podcasts are like Netflix for radio. I call it Audio Anywhere. Also find my own listening app on the App Store, and I so appreciate your support. Reach out to me. My email is carm at remarkableresults.biz. You know, I do get emails, and they speak to the value received from listening, which relates directly to improved profit goals for the service professional. Now, keep in mind that the stories and the lessons in the content library bring the nuggets of inspiration to fight hard and to get to the next level. The key is to do something with the ideas that you receive. Well, how big is the audio library? Well, as of this episode, you have 295 interviews and 52 Academy audio storybooks to help you in your business and personal life. And we grow by three per week. Hey, today's podcast has a sister video. And if you want to see the discussion in action, you can find it at remarkableresults.biz slash A052. Now there you can view the Academy as it unfolded. You will also find additional bio information on my guests, links to their previous episodes, and a compilation of the key talking points. Yes, the cliff notes are already done for you. Now listen to the Town Hall Academy Forum on lessons I learned when I sold my shop. With Margie Van Lurup, formerly of Beach City's Garage in Laguna Hills, California. Scott Gonzo Weaver, formerly of Superior Auto Electric, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And you also know Scott from Gonzo's Toolbox. And Dave Winters, formerly of Swedish Automotive in Seattle, Washington. Enjoy. Margie, so they say that when you're getting ready to sell a shop, one of the most important things to do is preparation. Uh-huh. And that preparation is about good records and a good, smart, intelligent, normalized profit and loss statement. 
Would that be true? That's very true. That was the bottom line that sold my business. Total transparency. I mean, I, I realized that a couple of times in. I mean, I had altogether, I had three offers on the shop and having three offers on the shop really put it into a bidding situation, which was great because it brought the price up. And um, I, I think I'll end it up with the best people for the shop too, for the growth of the shop. But preparation, when I, you know, I moved the shop and when I moved the shop, I wanted to make sure that the goal was, what was I going to do with the shop? And I struggled and I thought, am I going to keep it? Am I going to sell it? And when I made the decision to sell it, I had to do nothing but prepare and prepare, prepare for everything to sell it, period. Michael Gerber wrote a third book called Beyond the E-Myth. Yes. And part of the essence of that book was make every decision in your business as if you were ready to sell it or preparing to sell it. So that was that was your thought. In fact, that's the books that I kept reading to make sure I was on the right path once I made the decision. Great. Well, she broke yes. the code. She broke the code for us. Uh, you sent me a great couple of quotes from Michael Gerber. If your business depends on you, you don't own a business. You have a job. And it's the worst job in the world because you're working for a lunatic. That's right. <laughs> and I watched many lunatics work. Trust me. <laughs> I had a good friend in the automotive business and I watched his lunacy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking, I don't want this. <laughs> Got it. You know, Dave, you had mentioned that to me in your notes that you just never opened up enough time to get out. Uh, the business was too dependent on you. Uh, what would you do different? You know, I see guys that the shop pretty much runs on its own and we never quite achieved that. We could take a week off here, you know, 10 days at a time. Um, my wife still did payroll every two weeks. And so that was kind of our limiting factor as far as how long we could be away. So that is probably one regret I have is that I, I never really grew it to where it would just run 100% on its own. Are you taking some time off now? I guess my big question to everybody, and I've got a ton of them and we got great talking points for you all. Um, you bought a house, Margie. Gonzo, you're remodeling your house, and, and David, you just moved into a brand new house. I think it was today. Last night was the first night here. We are not here full-time yet. We still are in the process of selling our old house. We've moved about 50 miles, but it's you know from the city of Seattle to a, a town of 10,000 on the Olympic Peninsula. Thank you for committing time to be here. I'm sure there's, Certainly. there's no place to sit there. You're probably sitting on the floor. Uh, well, my wife is hanging pictures right now. Uh, <laughs> and you know what? That actually shows the, you know, I, I so appreciate you coming on. It was Bob Ward who connected me with you. We've had Bob Ward on before and a really funny story. We did do a little bit of uh, a seminar like this, but not exactly like it. We were really talking about how to prepare, not what I learned from selling. And Gary Plimmer uh, had just sold his shop a couple of days before, and he came on, and it kind of reminds me of you, Dave. He was in Cabo. He took a vacation, like some of you have suggested that you do when you sell your shop, and he was on live from Cabo with us, and it was really an amazing uh, to, to be in the thick of, you know, the happening. And, and, and same with you. Gons, um, you're, so you're remodeling your house, and, and it's because you have no place to go to work now. <laughs> oh, I have plenty to do. It's just one of those things that wife said, now that you have the extra time, put the time into the house. And I've always been one of those guys that's been, uh, let's say, the, the home improvement nut anyway. So I'm constantly you know, building cabinets or doing something. So it, it just seemed like the thing to do. And now I'm so deep into it that uh, I have no choice but to continue. So, uh, you know, you, you can't put... Uh, you can't hang a coffee cup on a rafter right now. So, you know, I've got to put something back in place. 
where it used to be cabinets. So, well, I've gotten to know Gons pretty good, and he's given me a tour of some of his woodworking uh, capabilities. And he's a very talented, very talented person. I'm sure that kitchen's going to be in better homes and gardens when you're done. <laughs> I don't know about that, Margie. Uh, how important is it to have professionals working on your team? Accountants, brokers, lawyers. It's critical. It's absolutely critical. Invest in that. I, I had a great accountant, still have a great accountant. Uh, she does a great job for me, uh, keeps an eye on things. Especially, you know, once you sell the business, you know, once you get what you think the business is worth, you'll never get that. You'll always get what, you know, the, the uh, buyer thinks the business is worth and what you negotiate. But you can get create a fair price for the business with the accountant in place and putting all the papers together, and especially an attorney. One of the things that I ran across is I did not own the building, so I leased the building. Mm-hmm. And one mm-hmm. of the things, and I had an interesting um, leasing company that I dealt with, and one of the fine print was that my attorney read in there that even though I was, <clears throat> excuse me, even though the new owner was assuming the lease and then extending the lease, my name was still somewhere written on there, which means for the next five years, I'd still be on that lease somewhere if someone defaulted. So those are the little details in life that your attorney will take care of you. So, and now that the business is sold, I want to make sure that I have no liability, you know, that I'm clear. Thank you very much. I can walk away. So it is critical at all points. I see peace of mind when I look at you. Yes, I'm happy. Good. <laughs> I really am. I'm I'm really blessed. Interesting about property. Everybody who gets a coach is really encouraged to be a property owner somewhere along the line to own the property that your business is in. Dave, I know you did and that was a big factor in doing your deal. Yeah, so we actually uh worked at a four bay shop from about 1990 to 2010. Um, in 06, we bought another piece of property and uh, by 2010 had built a 12 bay shop. Um, so we own both of those. That's how we were able to retire. But it has obviously given us a very large vested interest in the success of our successors uh, because we're depending on that rent income for retirement. Uh, we still owe uh, quite a bit on the shop that we built. Yeah, so we, I mean, I would have just about given away the place if, as long as we had the rental income coming in. Got it. And did you, do you believe you got a fair deal for the business? I do. I think, I mean, we didn't, uh, I, I wasn't like Margie where I had uh, people vying for the business. Uh, uh, the guys that uh, rent, you know leased our old shop from us seven years ago, we kind of started teasing them, when are you going to be ready for the big shop? And about three years ago, they started saying, I think we're ready for the big shop. And so about Maybe two years ago, we put together the deal. They started making payments. They owned about 20% of the shop by the time we closed the deal three weeks ago. I've still got my fingers crossed that they succeed. I think they will. They're both great guys. They're both good operators. Um, had never run a business until seven years ago. They'd been in the business for years as techs and advisors and managers, and they'd always wanted to go out on their own. So when our old four-bay shop became available, they jumped on it. Did you provide any mentoring to them? They didn't really need a whole lot. Uh, you know, hopefully they do fine. Um, I think they will. Uh, time will tell. David, yeah. you know, at the beginning you'd asked um, or you'd said that you couldn't even take a day off, basically, or go on vacation. So what's changed to where now you can leave and you've got to still make sure that they're successful? How will all of this come together? Uh, so it's been really, I mean, we were, we've, 
we took vacations and stuff, Margie. Um, we just couldn't take a month off. I mean, we went to New Zealand. We went to Europe. We did a number of the World Pack cruises, but 10 days was pretty much the limit. Now, you know, we're renting a Cruise America RV uh, February 15th, and we won't be back till March 15th. We're going to go down the West Coast and visit family and friends. Um, I've got a hiking trip planned in the Grand Canyon next November. We've got two and a half weeks in Hawaii in May. Um, it's just really opened the door. And it's so nice. Uh, weekends, you know, Sunday night was always stressful. Oh, God, I got to be at work at 8 o'clock tomorrow and raring to go and make that nut. And, and now we don't have to do that anymore. So in 10 days in the RV, are you going to start shaking? <laughs> shaking? <laughs> How do you mean? I got to go to work. Jitters. No, no, that has not happened, Carmen. I don't think, I think if that was going to happen, it would have happened. No, no, no shock with Pretty much the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> I don't have to go to work. I can go for a walk. I can go ride my bike. I can take my dog for a walk. Carm Capriato here with Ron Haugen of Westside Auto Pros. Ron, are Jasper product improvements important when deciding to buy your next engine or transmission? Oh, absolutely. Uh, not only important for me, because I know that I'm going to put a product in a vehicle that's going to last, uh, but they're important for my customer. Uh, my customer's already got an engine that's failed, maybe because a component was under-engineered, and Jasper's gone in and found that and fixed that. And if somebody's committing to the kind of investment to put an engine in their vehicle, they're going to want the best one they can get. Hey, Ron, what could you tell me about Jasper's customer service? Jasper's customer service is above and beyond pretty much any of the vendor's customer service that we use. There's been times that I've often thought we we need to hire whoever trains Jasper's staff to come train my staff. I mean, from, from the initial phone call to if there's a warranty problem, a question, a, a technical issue, uh, they answer the phone and you're immediately talking to the person that can help you. Hey, Ron, thanks for your insights on Jasper. Thanks for asking. You know, valuation team, you've all mentioned it a little bit somehow. I know, Guns, we haven't asked you that. How do you come up with, figure out, work with a broker, get in your gut, put a price out there that somebody succeed with? Let's talk evaluations. For me, I started out with a number that I thought it was worth, which the, you know, I went through a broker and I, and I do think, uh, at least in my case, broker was the best idea. Um, even though you're, you're going to pay a broker a pretty healthy fee for what's you know, going to happen, even though, in my opinion... The amount of work that they do is is you know nil compared to the work that you just spent twenty thirty forty years at you know trying to grow a shop, but um, it does let's say simplify some of the legal aspects of it all um, because they're more aware of those pitfalls that you might come into as far as uh, you know the leasing I- issue with your name still on it like Marge was talking about or you know the the buy in for twenty or thirty percent and so on. Um, but that's why I went through a broker. But even with that number set, as Margie mentioned, you're not going to get that number that you think it's worth because the value is not in that number. It's either in that client base or what the uh, buyer thinks your shop is worth. And that's where I you know, hit a couple stumbling blocks along the line uh, of trying to sell my shop. So uh, when, the, when it got down to the push... Uh, which we'll, we can get into later, why it ended up into a push to sell. I came up with my own little, let's call it, trick to sell it. I divided the shop into two aspects. So I could take the shop itself and sell it at a much lower price 
than what, let's say, somebody came in and looked around and went, wow, this shop's worth X amount of dollars, and he's only asking this much. But what I did is I took specific tools, equipment, shop equipment even, that I said is not part of the sale. This is a separate sale altogether. And I used it as a teaser to get the guy in that says, hey, you know, I've got X amount of dollars I can spend on the shop, but look at here, here's this tool or something I can have. And he's got to sit right here. All I have to do is throw a little more money into the pot. And that's what flipped the edge as far as getting getting the buyer that actually put the money on the table for me. And that strategy worked? Oh, yeah. It worked perfectly. Yeah. What happened to the second part? Did he take it? Yes, he did. And he, he, bought every, he bought every pencil, pen, screwdriver. I walked away with basically, as I, I used to make the statement that, uh, you know, 35 years ago, I started the shop with one test light, one can of WD-40, and one pair of wire cutters. And I purposely, on the very last day of uh, the contract, because I had like uh, two, three weeks, I had to be there to kind of help guide him through. I said, I'm taking these. I took one can of WD-40, one test light, one pair of wire cutters, laid it on the desk, took a picture of it. I said, that's how I'm leaving the shop. And that's what I did. So I still have them too. I love it. I love it. And uh, the reason that Gonzo had to sell his shop was he joined the Zipper Club. Yeah. Yeah. That was the, let's say the final, okay, that's it. Can't do it anymore. Uh, That was back in June of last year. I was home actually, believe it or not, doing some remodeling and uh, duh. And uh, I just uh, started feeling this tightness in my chest. And I compare it to the the size of a coffee cup in the middle of my chest. And and I thought, man, this doesn't feel well. I I knew enough to go get some baby aspirins. And I went and got the baby aspirins. And by the time I turned around and walked back to about the middle of the house, my wife was saying, uh, are you having a heart attack as well? I wish I knew what one was, you know, maybe this is it. And, and sure enough, it was. And it ended up with, uh, uh, instead of, oh, the stents as they talk about, that wouldn't work for me. I ended up with open heart surgery. So from nearly dead to almost dead to back to where I'm at now. And I'm um, very happy that I went when I did. But uh, at the same token, it pretty much says you're done. You're not going to be climbing around a car anymore. I mean, sure, in time, you'll be able to. But you're not going to walk out of the hospital and go back to work. So I told the wife that was it. Gons, were you thinking of, were you preparing to sell the shop even before the heart attack? Yes, I was. I was okay. planning to sell the shop. Okay. Uh, but I wasn't, let's say, I wasn't pushing the sale. Got it. You weren't aggressive with it. Yeah. yeah. No, no. I, it, it was going to happen. It's going to happen. I was going to get that number that I wanted to see out of the shop. Sure. Going shop. You're there. Yeah, I get yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still making money, you know, doing the writing, everything else. So. And every uh, day the it, buyer probably figured you were hungry for a deal. and. Oh, I had other buyers come in. Okay. But All right. No, nobody with, you know a lot of eager beavers that said, oh, geez, I'll come in here. And, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, uh, Gonzo, you stick around for a year and uh, you show us how to do all this and, and you put some more investment in. And at the end of the year, whatever you put in, plus a little, I'll, I'll pay you that and, and you'll get everything you wanted. And I thought, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm walking away. I'm done. Okay. This doesn't mean have me linger on for a year, but what happens in a year when you say, you know, it's just not working out for me. Then what? Am I stuck with it again? Yeah. I said, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's cut and dry. Get, get me out. You know, I'm done. You know, you know 35 and, years. 
And Gonzo, you know, what you bring up a real critical point, and that is, what are the terms? How do you do your exit strategy? You know, right. do you want that shop back in two years if it fails? I mean, how, you know, what are the terms? You know, with me, I put the shop up for sale in May. I hired the broker, got everything done. I was out of there September the 12th, wow. period, done. Um, I'm, I was shocked, actually. I thought I'd sell other things first before I'd sell my business, but it, it, I, was, I was in the right place at the right time. And I think I had the right broker and everything else was prepared correctly. And I made sure that I don't have to go back there again. If the business fails, it fails. I left them with owner manuals. I left them with system manuals, process and procedures. Everything was listed. All the equipment had its place. Yep. It t- everything just so that it was like, just pick up and go. And you're not holding paper then, Mark? Nope. Nope. Okay. Nope. Neither am I. Uh, yeah. nope. No paper, no paper. Dave, are you holding paper? If you, are you willing? Uh, are you willing yeah. to uh, say cash. that, Dave? Uh, we're not holding any paper. Uh, they got an SBA loan, so they cashed us out. I mean, other than we uh, yeah, look you, for a rent check every month, uh, but the the sale of the shop was uh, yeah. paid for. It's amazing. David shared with me a couple of property values in Seattle. No different than in California, Margie. Yeah, yeah, that's true. My. Um, the, the retirement plans were as if you had a shop in the city, <laughs> you, you sell it and, and they turn it into a condo, right? Yeah. Wow. Amazing stuff. Um, okay. Uh, well, we, even with Dave, he's, he's not a uh, shop owner. He's a landlord, you know? Yeah. So the, the, you're out of the business as, as much as I am. Um, the difference is I didn't own my building as, as uh, Margie. And uh, I just walked away, and the, and the guy had to uh, resign a lease. He had to sign a five-year lease for a lot more money than I was paying for the, the same place. Same here. We just got a question from Gary Keyes from the Zoom platform. How far in advance did the panelists plan the sale, and at what point did they consult with a professional to help with the sale? And let me paraphrase what you just said, Margie. You said you started in four months, but was there a planning period before you hung the shingle? Carm, you know a little bit about my background. Um, you know, I, I closed my shop. I, 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 I'm a fairly new shop owner. I opened my shop in 2011, and it was a shop that someone else had owned for 30-plus years, and I took it over. And then in 2015, uh, my husband passed away. He had nothing to do with the business. It was always my business. Um, but I had to close my shop because of all sorts of things. I thought, what am I going to do? This was in August. And I had all this equipment. Everything was there. And I thought, what am I going to do? So I intentionally opened up a shop in a smaller location. I went from 6,000 square feet to 2,400 square feet. Mm. Instead of six lifts, I had four lifts. I became much more economical. And the goal was when I opened, I did a soft open in December of 2015. And then officially, it used to be, my shop used to be called Viking Auto Care. And I renamed it Beach City's Garage. I rebranded it. It was strictly Saab and Volvo. I rebranded it to do everything, basically, calling it Beach City's Garage. So it'd be more more generic, more economical, so I could have a bottom line that's in the black, that I'd be making money. And it was strictly the goal was to close and sell, either close the shop in two years or sell it in two years. In fact, I only got a two-year lease with two two two-year renewals. That's how much I pressured myself into making sure that I was going to sell the shop. So, yeah. Yeah. So I started working with um, the broker in about March. I started interviewing, interviewing brokers in March of 2016. 2017, excuse me. I was going to say, it sounds like you bought the shop to sell, in a way. 
Uh, oh, yeah, it was always my intention to do that. Yeah, when my husband got sick, I needed income. And so I bought that shop mm-hmm. you know, so that I'd have income. You know, to me, business is business. And so that's what I, that was the intention. Uh, and yes, so the answer is yes. Nothing to sell wrong it. with that, by the way. I mean, it's just, just a shrewd business plan. That, that's really what it is. I'd owned other businesses before. The last business I owned was a magazine, and I sold that in, in you're going to love this story, in October of, of 2007. And they gave me 70% of the cash and the rest I was going to hold. And then we all know what happened in 2008. And so I never saw anything after that. Yeah. They never published after that. So uh, I learned my lesson on that yeah. one. So, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Let's go back to valuation one more time. I know there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, Gons, I, I loved your strategy because some people uh, go into their business. Um, it's after hours. The lights are low. They look around and they say, well, look at all the cool stuff I have to sell. Yeah. Not really yeah. understanding that those depreciated assets aren't worth a whole heck of a lot. They're only right. really worth something to a, a going business. And and how do you, you know, you get into a situation where, um, you know, the guy has been, let's say, pretty successful for 10, 15, 20 years at it, and he's going to sell the business, but he wants to sell his tools, and he looks at his toolbox and says, boy, I've got $100,000 worth of hand tools here. Wow, man, I ought to be able to get 80000 for all this. Well, uh, a good friend of mine made a good point to me one many, many years ago, and that was that uh, the the cost of the tools when you bought them have nothing to do with the resale value. The cost of the tools is how well they perform their duty over the period of time that you use them. That's where the value is at. The value is not in reselling them. You made the money with the tools. Mm-hmm. If you made money. If you made money, mm. yeah. But, the, you know, it still comes down to, you know, if, if you bought a Snap-on rent for 150 bucks, one wrench, not hard to do. That doesn't mean that wrench is worth $150 20 years from now, okay? That wrench may be worth 20 bucks, you know, because as they say, what is it, nickel to a dollar and whatnot? That is one of these realizations that uh, as a business owner I, and a mechanic myself, I had to sit down and kind of get that stuck in my head that, the tools aren't worth what they were when I bought them. Now, I can value them at that as far as replacement value, but the, that particular tool in that particular toolbox is not worth that much. Great advice. Thank you very much. Uh, very, very sage advice. Uh, going back to evaluation or valuating a business. Okay, so I've got this, um, I've got this uh, great business. Uh, I got $50,000 on the bottom line, and all I got to do is send my P&L to the broker. And he's going to send it to this potential client. Um, I, I saw you shake your head, Margie. I am I am leading you all down a primrose <laughs> path here. Yeah. <laughs> and the primrose path is something I always knew called normalization. And and so if I was buying a business, I would take that P and L and I'd say total, full blown, honest transparency here. What's in here that shouldn't be? We've got to normalize this. And many owners put things in their P&L that have to come out and normalize them. So you've got to set a good set of books up for someone so that they can really find out deep in their heart if they're going to make it based on what your current, you know, your business trend is in in your history. Dave, have you always worked hard to be sure that your P&L was crystal clear? 
Yeah, I fortunately have my wife in the back room. And uh, when questions came up, you know, during the sale of the business, um, we actually had to have a bit of a powwow with the new owners, CPAs and our CPA, because they were asking questions. And fortunately, I've been with the same CPA since 1985. Actually, I'm now with the son of the original CPA. The original (laughs) guy died with the clean books that we had. We were pretty much able to lay all the questions to rest. So I felt very, very fortunate that we had good people on our team and, you know, we're able to show the new buyers that it's, it's about as clean as you could possibly be. Margie, can you give us any advice to people that are listening and are going to watch this and listen to this episode, you know, forever? What are the kind of things that you need to be careful of what you put in your P&L? Well, I would basically draw a salary, which I did, to show that you actually are making money and putting it in your, you know, in your bank. Put everything transparent, whether it's, you know, paying for your car. I mean, everything, all the details. That's, you know, that's where the devil is, basically. I've got um, the broker that I hired. Uh, it was amazing. As soon as I sold my business, I had seven or eight people actually contact me saying, hey, we're interested. Who do we talk to? You know, what do we do? So I gave yeah. the name of my broker. And um, some of them are actually, two of them actually right now are very profitable, but they put everything in their PL. So it's taking them a good year to put everything on the books so that they're able to be transparent and sell their business. Well, if they're profitable with all the stuff in, Margie, it's going to get them a whole lot more money at the end of the day if, right. if the profits do show. Right. And, you know, and, but the key is too that all of a sudden now you're, the taxes show up, but you know what? Better to take that tax hit yep, and yep. sell your business at a good profit than, you know, you got to pay the piper eventually, so just do it. In all know? the experience that I ha- I've had in in doing acquisitions in my former life, that was one of the you know people would come to me and says, "Hey, we're interested in selling," and I said, "Have you normalized your P and L? What do you mean? Are you hiding any inventory? Is the uh, is the utilities from the lake house?" In- <laughs> <laughs> now I don't know why you're all laughing. <laughs> well, it, it, is it? Always crystal clear? No, there's always a dark side somewhere, you know. Yeah, but it it, it shouldn't be so blatant when anyone wants to. No, no, no. You show it. You know, you're going to show it. You're going to so. look at the utilities of this of this four bay place and say, why is it so high? Yeah. And you 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 really have to normalize it, and it sometimes takes a few years to get it. And Margie, you brought up the greatest point. You may have to start paying a few more taxes in order to get a clean and transparent P and L. For me, the big issue was that about eight or 10 years ago, when I started doing a lot of the writing and, and uh, uh, you know, convention work and stuff, um, I was away from the shop a lot. And as Dave was saying that, you know, my time away from the shop, using at the shop was going to slow down if I wasn't there. So back in those days, the P&L was showing the, the, you know, the income and the gross profit extremely high because I had a full crew. And as these years went by and my writing started taking off more than let's say the shop was, I started dropping the shop load. So now the P&L for the shop is much lower. My P&L is still up here, but the shop's down here. And that made an issue as far as selling it at, let's say at the number that I wanted to get, but uh, it all eventually did work out. So ask yourself this question, (laughs) what will make my business stand out and be saleable? Or why would I purchase my own business? 
That was the number one question I asked myself when I opened the business. And number one was that my customer service, the loyalty of the customer, the joy that the customer had when they came in, and that they were not dependent on me, period. Because that's one big thing with a small business. You've got to kind of wean them from that. So um, I, the, the last two years that I had the business, knowing that I was going to sell it, that's what I focused on, is that my customers knew that they had a good, reliable, valuable place that they could have their car serviced. And that's how I marketed everything those last two years. Guys, uh, tell me about post-sale blues or euphoria. Dave, are, are you over the fact that you just sold your business? <laughs> I have friends that sold their shop uh, three years ago and they still are giggly every time I talk to them. Uh, And now they've sold their house and they're living on a boat right here in Port Townsend. Um, And, you know, we'll ask them, do you guys miss the shop? And they just get, they just giggle. They, um, you know, it's a heavy load to carry. Uh, you got a lot of people that are, that are you're responsible for and you really want to do a good job. And, um, you know, it's really amazing to take that load off. What's interesting is I've owned several businesses and this was my first literally brick and mortar business. Oh, it was horrifying because people have to come to you, number one. You can't go to people and get customers, right? I mean, as far as they've got to come into your brick and mortar to get things done. And that was a big change for me. And then you've got that responsibility of every day, those employees and their families and that liability. I mean, it is such a heavy burden and it's so freeing because now I can do other things. You know, I, I'm writing, I'm, I'm writing for companies, I'm consulting, I'm still making money, but guess what? I don't have the burden of that payroll and the taxes and the fire department walking in and yeah. shall I keep going? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Been there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the other thing is that you, know, you want to help those customers. I mean, that's, that was the whole yes. thing with me. To this day, I still have people that will text me or send me emails and, boy, we wish you were still around. Good Lord, where are we going to go to get this or that done? You know, and, and then they'll say, hey, can, can, you, can you come down and look at my car? And say, I'm sorry, I have a uh, no-compete clause, uh, and I can't do anything that's going to make uh, doing the same job I did before in a 50-mile radius of my shop. So, uh, and it's, that's part of the sales screen. But I also th- believe you want to get under that hood again, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, hang on. I have a cat bothering me here. <laughs> and, but uh, no, I don't. I, I, I spend a lot of time right now. I'm teaching. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to grow a uh, small college's uh, automotive uh, department. Um, and it's, uh, I, I wanted, you know, I, I believe it's my time to give back. And uh, I've, I've done the under the hood. You know, I, I've spent the time busting knuckles. Um, how about I teach these new guys coming up that we keep complaining about that don't have the training to be in the business? Well, you know, I think a lot of it is there's so much to learn these days compared to when I started. I mean, points and condensers, what are those? You know, now they're into electronics and security systems, everything else that has to be involved. So there's a lot more for them to learn. And to have someone, uh, you know, with experience like this teach him, I think is going to help them out. Um, but, you know, on, on the side note of that too, yes, I am uh, very grateful to sell the shop. Uh, you can't even imagine um, 
where I was uh, for the past, well, the last six months of 2017, uh, not being able to work uh, in the industry that I was in uh, all those years because uh, of you know the health reasons. So you know it just shut me down. So. Uh, I still had income coming in. I'm still doing my writing and everything else. So I, I wasn't lost. It's just, it's a total change. But probably the one thing we haven't mentioned yet, and that is another side of the aftermath of selling the shop. And that is Uncle Sam's coming to find you. And you got your normal income you have. And now you have this huge check that you just made from selling your shop wait to the next tax season and see how much you're going to owe. And this is the one thing um, I probably wasn't really expecting, uh, but it's coming um, and it's going to be a bundle. So it's, it's like taking, let's say making double, triple of what you made in one year. Uh, and paying now it back. Is, yeah. And now you're going to pay it back. Right. You got to pay the taxes on it. So, that's another sideline that you've got to keep in mind when you sell the business that, hey, just because you got a big giant check, it's not all yours yet. Okay. You've got to pay the broker, got to pay Uncle Sam. Uh, you've got, let's say, bills that are indirectly or directly tied to the shop that have to be taken care of. So just because it's a, a large number doesn't mean it's, it's, it's there for you to run out of the country. Yeah. yeah, and the nice thing is that the escrow company helps take care of all of that yes. too. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I took a percentage of my money and then the rest of it I kept with the escrow company until everything was paid off. That way I didn't have to deal with it. Right. That's it's makes it really easy. Dave, was that a surprise for you? Uh, it's too early to tell. It's too early to tell. We've only been out for two and a half, three weeks. We're going to hear we're going to hear the yell. Excellent uh, recommendation. We shouldn't spend all the money right now. No. <laughs> did you did you use a broker, Dave? No. Okay. We, uh, Bob Ward assisted us, kind of uh, greased the skid, so to speak, pointed us in the right direction. And then we pretty much just did the deal with two attorneys and the buyers, but no broker. Good advice, Gonza. I appreciate that. Thank Dave, you. you probably got a ton of friends in their 60s, boomers, that have no exit strategy. What would you yeah. reach out and tell them? Uh, communicate with them on a regular basis and encourage them to look at, you know, what can you do? I, I, I hate to see guys dropping the traces, uh, you know, still slaving away. Maybe they still enjoy it, but there's a lot more of life to be lived uh, beyond the walls of your shop. Um, and we are fully exploring that now and having a blast doing it. Yeah. It, Sometimes it, it's hard to see that other side it when, is. You're, when you're in the shop, though. Yeah. No, it's... Um, I've only been back to my shop, I think, two times since we sold it because we had some papers to sign or something to drop off or something. I snuck in the back door, snuck back out the back door. I did not, you know, it feels really funny to go back there. Um, yeah, I, I, I drive around. I, yeah. I, I don't even want to, I don't want to even go to my shop. Yeah. I, I don't want to be even close to it. I want the new guys to, uh, you know, be in total control. I don't want the old regime uh, to show up. That's just not my, not where I should be. Right. My my commitment, <clears throat> excuse me, after I sold the shop was to give them 40 hours. I went in there, I trained, I had, um, like I said, systems manuals, you know, how to run marketing, everything. And I went through all of it, including the software program. And I've stepped in a couple of times. And of course, I get phone calls from my customers, you know, on what's going on. And mm -hmm. it's just, it's going to be a, it's a different culture now. And sometimes you have to walk away from that culture because it's their shop. 
Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the, there's a, a study that I read that said, uh, and I'm sure we're all aware of this as, as business owners, that most new businesses fail within the first year, then the remainder usually won't make it five. There's a skill right. level you got to have, you know, first off. Um, you have to have a, a certain amount of business savvy to make it all work. And you've got to be able to go with the punches. I mean, that, there's not every week that you're going to turn a profit. And, but then when you do turn a, turn a profit, that, that doesn't mean, you know, hey, let's all run to Mexico. You know, um, yeah. you, you've got to, you know, be smart about it. And uh, frugal might be the best word I can use to determine what you got to do to keep a business sur- surviving all those years. The nice thing about my business is um, a youthful young man, he's, I think he's about 37, 38, purchased the business, and he's um, got good financial backing behind him, and he's got a good team. He kept all of my staff people, and he's got a great vision, and I, he, he'll be successful. I mean, they, he had one of his people attending the Barrett-Jackson auction. He's got a lot of uh, presence in SEMA, so they want to take it to a different level, and I think they'll do that. I think the business will continue being successful, especially with the customer base. The customers still love him. Margie, that's a question I have for you. You had a lot of processes and stuff in place and all written down. Did the new owners adopt that? From what I understand, the book is not a doorstop. So that's a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) And and the answer is yes. Uh, They are using a lot of a lot of them from what I understand. Their marketing is a little different because they're younger. So they're doing more social media than than I was doing. I'm a little older as far as that goes. But uh, so so they're doing that. And my guys are happy. My mechanics are happy there. So the answer is yes. Yeah, that's good. And, and you know, and and from a sales perspective, you know that that post sale, uh, what do you call that when you have the post sale regret? Um, <laughs> I wanted to make sure that that they had a complete manual so that if something did happen a year or two down the road, that they can't come back to me and say we failed because you didn't tell us this. Yeah. Here's the manual. Yeah, right. There it is, and I'm I have gonna... a copy of it and everything so that. I've got proof that this is what we yeah. did. I, I have to tell you something. I have a, a, a total uh, open space in my heart for young, struggling shop owners. And, and you know, having been helped share the voices of the aftermarket for almost 300 episodes, that catalog has all the answers he wants. Key, accountability, personal discipline. You can, you can listen to something and say, oh, that's not me, that's not me. You know, pride gets in the way. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I uh, I'm off my soapbox. I'm I'm off, but I, I I hate I hate to see when there's a great uh, opportunity to have it go bad because someone's unwilling to learn and take the next step. Hey, uh, before- and, but uh, there again, for all I know, uh, the fellow that bought my shop bought it in say the same direction Margie was going. He bought it to sell. Um, maybe it's not a question of whether what he can personally do to the car or. or it, so, but I tell you one person that's extremely happy that um, I sold the shop, and that's my wife. <laughs> uh, she was getting tired of that grouchy guy that used to come home, you know, after a day at the shop. And uh, she says, you know, maybe it took a heart attack to knock some sense into you, but uh, uh, you know, hey, you're a much calmer guy, and you're you're a lot easier to get along with. We might actually stay married another thirty years, you know. So, so Gonzalez, can I ask a question if you don't sure. mind? So I, I, one of the things that I posed to Carm was saying that the most important thing, at least for me, was do not tell anyone that you are selling the shop. 
to me, that was critical. I would just love for you to wrap it into the words confidentiality, you know? Yeah. So let's talk about that. That's great. Yeah. Well, I, I did that because I needed my, and I really recommend it because we have a lot of gossip pounds in the area that, because I'm, I was around a lot of shops and it, everyone was shocked and surprised. So for somehow wow. I was able to keep it a secret. Um, First of all, you want your employees to continue with their top performance. You don't want them leaving. You don't want them to get nervous. It's critical that they still have all the confidence in the world that you, because they're part of the sale of the shop. I mean, that's really important. Mm -hmm. Your customers, you've got, you cannot tell your customers. You just have to keep going because that's part of what you're selling is that customer base. Right. So, and, and you've got to do a nice smooth handoff. I mean, I was actually there for the last two weeks. And what I did is I made sure that I, once the handoff was going on, I'm getting a little off base, but I called a lot of my customers once the sale closed and I invited them in to introduce them to the new owner <clears> so <throat> that there was a smooth transition. I did that. And we even had a little, um, uh, what we call champagne kind of party for, you know, for the transition side of it. As far as the other shop owners go, everyone else, no one knew because people love to gossip. And oh my gosh, they can steal your customers. They can do whatever bad rumors they want to start. Mm -hmm. so that's not a good thing. And even with your friends, I mean, now your closest friends, you've got to, you know, obviously you've got that little thing. But overall, I didn't tell anybody that I was selling the shop. So uh, I think they knew I was selling the shop the day I said I'm selling the shop. Uh, uh, I don't know where it leaked out at because I was going to try to keep it secret for a long time. For all I know, it was the guy coming in and stocking the batteries on the shelves in the lobby. You know, you might've overheard it or something. And boy, I mean, it, it went like wildfire. But then again, uh, I always had that kind of reputation in town as the guy that was, a, you know, the head of the game and everybody's always like, what, what's Gonzo up to? What's he up to? What's he up to? So it seemed it, it, without a choice, uh, it was going to be out there. So, and I think that's why I did have a lot of different people coming in and asking to buy it. But, yeah, they didn't either. They didn't qualify for the financing or they uh, they just didn't have it. You know, they didn't have the cash to do it, you know. Dave, confidentiality? We kind of had a similar thing where we were, I think we'd actually made the decision to sell the shop, but we hadn't told anybody yet. And it somehow got leaked. And that was a very dark day because yeah. it, it went like wildfire through the shop. And we had to have an immediate sit down with the entire shop, which is 12 or 13 employees and just be totally honest and open and transparent. And there were a lot of really long faces. It was not the way that I would have preferred to have it go. Um, yep. I, I like to be transparent, but we just, it, it was kind of, that was like two years ago. And it was kind of like telling people, you know, I'm pregnant when you're two weeks in. <laughs> uh, they're going to keep coming back. You haven't had that baby yet? Yeah. Because yeah. we knew this was going down probably two or three years ago, and we just didn't want that hanging over us that, you know, you guys are lame ducks and you'll be out of here. But that's the way it went down. I, I think it's going to all work out just fine. But it, it wasn't the way I would have preferred it to go down. I would have preferred to have, you know, had a meeting with everybody and said, you know, Chris and Todd are buying the shop. This is what's going on. It's, you know, they'll be in here in three months, not a year from now. But it leaked out. It leaked did, out. Did your employees stay? Uh, and are they still there now, Dave? And the same question for you, Gonzo. Uh, no employees. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, we had one tech leave probably six months ago, kind of 
early retirement, I guess I would say he was probably just ready and just wasn't he. So Margie, we were like you, I was Volvo Saab. Then we branched out into Subaru and mini when we built a bigger shop, he was pretty much strictly Volvo. Didn't really want to work on anything else. Could see the writing on the wall. And he was, you know, pushing 60, didn't need the money and just said, I'm done. Um, everybody else has stayed so far. Um, there are rumors, you know, that one may not be staying, which would be a terrible shame because he's a fantastic guy. I, I'd hate to have the new owners lose him. But so far, everybody has stuck. And, you know, I hope and pray that that continues. And I really wish everybody, you know, full success and happiness and smooth sailing. The new yeah. guys have made changes. They've changed payroll. Um, that's why I asked about your procedures and stuff because I kind of feel like we didn't have a whole lot of that stuff written down but I kind of feel like you know they've got seven years under their belt they already want to do it their own way I think if I had written up a complete procedure manual it wouldn't have been it would have been a doorstop as you said Uh, I may be wrong (laughs) but just the logistics of you know here's all your passwords here's the phone numbers for the you know Mitchell and all data and all that right Um, that kind of stuff yes it's transparent um, yeah. I even printed a complete uh, customer list, even though it's in the computer, I printed it. So we had a hard copy so that there was, that was black and white. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and for me, my big thing was that I basically mothballed the shop come June of last year. So it was dormant for six months until it finally sold. You know, I didn't have any employees at the time because, uh, uh, I had changed that up, uh, a few years ago. Uh, because of all my other activities going on that I was slowing the shop down anyhow. But that did affect, let's say, the value of the shop quite a bit. But I was aware of that when I was, you know, going to sell it. And uh, since the shop was mothballed, the transition to get in and out of the shop with a new owner uh, was a little bit more easier because we could spend a lot more time doing those detailed things about, okay, this is how this equipment works. This is where this is. This is where that part is, uh, this is who you call for your parts and that sort of thing. And uh, I think that made the transition a lot easier, but obviously uh, at the same token, it is uh, probably very difficult to take a shop that was mothballed, even if for six months and try to open it up under new ownership. And uh, he's going to have his hands full for a while until he gets it going again. A couple of questions have come in on the Zoom platform. I've found most books are not clean. This came from John Bridgewater. I looked at a few shops before I bought mine and found the books were unusually cooked. (laughs) And another one from John, he kind of tagged it. He said, any technician thinking of buying a shop really needs business classes before he buys. Amen. Amen. As all academies, they always go places I don't expect. And it's always because my panel comes with huge knowledge of the topic and a lot of passion. So I thank you all. I have one last question for you. Let's go around the room, give you maybe a minute to respond. What was the first thing you did after you got your check? First thing I did, uh, well, pay off a few bills and, uh, planned our next uh, trip to Mexico. So That's what I wanted to hear. Yeah. <laughs> right. Hey, bought Dave. my house in Scottsdale. Oh, you bought your house in Scottsdale. First thing, okay, great, cool. Did you have your eye on it? I had it all picked out, ready to go. <laughs> yep. <laughs> You're a planner, Margie. Wow. Cool. I am. All right, Dave, I'll give you the last word. 
we're pretty much the same as Margie. We bought an 1890 Victorian uh, in Fort Townsend, Washington, which is where I'm sitting right now. It's been owned by a retired surgeon for the last 10 years. Uh, it's an absolutely incredible home. Uh, absolutely mind-boggling. Good for you. We, um, uh, he just got the internet turned on, like, within the last just 20 last hours. Night. Thank you so yep. much for having all this done so you could be with us. Uh, how, how cool is this? Great episode. Margie Van Lurup, Scottsdale, Arizona. Formerly from Beach City's Garage, Scott Gonzo Weaver, from formerly from Superior Auto, out in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Dave Winters, formerly of Swedish Automotive, Seattle, Washington. Thank you for your insights on selling your business. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time, 